Welcome to this episode of The Rise After the Fall. We're so excited to have our first repeat guest today. Last season, we had Pastor Kendall Bridges, but today we have such an incredible gift on the eve of her birthday. That's right. To have the most wonderful Starla Bridges on here. And so I'm so excited. I've been anticipating this. I have been a fan of the Bridges my entire ministry career. They opened my eyes to what church really could be. I felt like when I went to the church that they pastored in Houston, it opened me up to the possibilities of what God could do. And as I've watched their restoration journey, I feel like that has been reborn in me. As I watched this couple walk the long, difficult road, it encouraged me in the fact that that you and I, Sonny, could take the same road and that we could make it. And I love that the the story and what we're going to talk about today, because this season, it's our second season. We didn't know if we'd have a second. I mean, we just started a podcast. Then we had a first season and then we're like, okay, well, it feels like it's coming to a close. We don't know. And we have a couple hundred people a week that find us new, new people and pastors and leaders that find us. And and so we decided to do another season. But one of the things that was really important, we both felt was what about the wives? And we didn't on purpose have just the man, the pastor who spoke on a Sunday in the series here at Life Church, and then was on the podcast next. It's just, that's just what we did. And we didn't have people reach out and say, what about the wives? Sean and I are just like, what about the wives? And I think what spurred that on, it was mid-season where we had Kendall on. And you said, Starla stayed mad for five years. She didn't say, I love you. And there was something that connected with me because I, I actually, in our fall, I was a participant in falling myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and it, you said it in the conference today, because you guys just finished a marriage conference for us here at Life Church. You said, I wanted to hurt him. And my fall that came after Sean's fall because I wanted to hurt him. Right. So I get it. But I've, we don't hear enough from the wives, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, wives, maybe I've just experienced one, wives that they felt their duty was to stay quiet, stay in the background and forgive. And so when Kendall said, you were mad, I was like, I didn't even wait five years to tell Sean I loved him. Like I, yeah. But I got my own revenge and your revenge was anger. Right. And then you knew right. when that was a stopping point. But I thought, we've got to talk to someone who's like, oh, he's going to pay for this. Mm-hmm. And and here's the deal. I can see, I didn't know Kendall before. I didn't know you before. But our people, they were like, we really liked Pastor Kendall. There was such a, such a transparency and a vulnerability. And it's like, yeah, because when you walk with a limp, because you fell, you're really actually safe and trustworthy because you know what you could lose. But you have to fall all the way. And you helped him fall all the way. So I did. Starla, we'll jump to you. Kendall's like, I'm not going to say much. a few times. (laughs) (laughs) So Starla, we want to ask you, um, maybe share, I don't know if you have details you haven't shared in your conferences. Maybe not. You've said it all, but... Share with our listeners um, what it looked like to be on the other side of a fall. Well, for years, I don't know if we've even talked about what the fall actually was, so my husband was unfaithful to me. Um, I was given the gift of discernment, knew that from early on, uh, and I just, as we got married, and I can see the weaknesses, I could see the potential of things going wrong with my husband, He was very confident, um, which was a good thing. I was attracted to that at first. And then as success grew, as the church grew, as the numbers grew, the confidence turned into arrogance and he was very prideful. And when I would see things that were weak, if I pointed them out, because I'm the more quiet one of the two and he's the more loud of the two, passionate passionate of the two, um, he would shut me down and he would see anything that I would say to him as being negative. So for years, I would speak up, I would mention things, I would have concerns, um, and it would be shut down every time. But as our church grew to, uh, we built a 2,000 seat auditorium and 
the the congregation, the people that would see us on local television or whatever ministry we might be doing, to them it looked like we had the perfect marriage, the perfect family, that everything was amazing. But inside we were just slowly crumbling and falling apart. And I could feel myself losing my husband. I knew it was just, it was just getting faster and faster as the success grew the more I lost him. Can you pause real quick? Because yeah. I want to, you to dig into that. Because okay. I do think that we have husbands and wives that they suspect something. Yeah. They're listening to this because yeah. they're like, oh, I feel like we're headed there. Can you like dig into what were some of those and and why or how you just, uh, just I guess, decided I to not go forward with saying something? Well, as a pastor's wife, um, you don't really have anybody to talk to. You're, you're in a crowd of thousands of people, but you're so alone. And the only person that you have the freedom to say everything to is your spouse, but your spouse is the one that's hurting you. So I was very alone. And because of any time that I would confront him or say anything to him because it was shut down, and that went on for so long, I started to believe that I was crazy. And I thought, okay, I am gonna blow it and destroy this ministry because I'm insecure because I'm jealous because I'm seeing things because I'm I don't like that he's successful and I'm the one at home raising kids. So it was and that's kind of where I was. I didn't have anybody to talk to. If I talked, it would destroy him, mm-hmm. you know? And so And in turn destroy you. Yeah. Yeah. It was your livelihood. It was my livelihood. Mm-hmm. Um but I did get to a certain point where I didn't care anymore. I thought I I I don't care. We can just walk away from all of it. When we would leave town, when it was just the two of us, we would leave town for either ministry or just a family trip. I never wanted to go back because I knew once I would go back to the church, back to his busy life, I would lose him again. So it's when we would leave the area, I would see my husband. When wow. go back, I, I knew I was going to lose him. You had mentioned during the conference, though, that— I feel I feel like you said a woman came into your church yes. and you knew. Did you did you I, just had an inclination about something unpack or that, that person? Yeah. We want details. Okay. So so this this couple came to our church. This family came to our church from another church, but I didn't know the story. I didn't know why. But Kendall did. He had I guess in counseling had heard why they left the church. But I don't know, back then it was kind of you kept everything confident. You didn't say anything, which is a huge red flag. And I would say to any couple, if you're not a counselor, don't counsel. Mm. So um, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just if you're a pastor, it doesn't mean you're a counselor. We got terrible advice from pastors, the worst advice from pastors when we were trying to rebuild our house, our, our, our home. Um, but so this family came into our church and I don't know, I kind of had a weird feeling, but I didn't really know what it was. And then we were sitting in the car. I remember the spot. We were in the garage in our white Lincoln. All of it, we had all loaded up. Kendall ran back into the house to get something, and his phone rang. So I picked it up, and I answered it, and it was this woman. And I thought, I won't tell you what I thought, but I thought, mm. why is she calling my husband? Because to me, that was a boundary. This is a cell phone. Everybody doesn't need your number. Um, Kendall's very much a, a people pleaser, and he wants, he doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. He wants people to feel good about themselves. He wants them to feel good about him. And I'm like, I'm not giving you my number. I'm not a people pleaser, maybe to a fault. Um, but when he got back in the car and I told him, I said, you need to be really careful with this woman. Just be careful. I roll, you know, whatever, overreacting. So just years went by. And here's a crazy thing, which I don't really talk about too much, but this woman came to our church looking one way. Within five years, her appearance changed so much to where people started asking if she was my sister, mm-hmm. if we were family. Um, but anyway, it was just a very slow, slow death to my husband's fall, I guess you would say. Um, he would move the boundary just a little bit more, take more calls, uh, meet, you know, for counseling more often. And just every time he moved the boundary, he just kept crossing it. So 
I just started, it just started burning inside of me. I just, I knew without a doubt. And it would be so hard for me to bring it up and confront him. It was so hard because I knew it wasn't going to go well. And I finally would because I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat, I couldn't function. So I would bring it up. And when I did, the further he got in his trap, the angrier he became. Mm -hmm. And so he was lashing out. He was angry. He was mean. And I knew I was going to pay the price for bringing it up. So I would. I'd pay the price. And I would wait until it would start raging inside of me again and bring it up and pay the price. And that was just a cycle. Wow. You know, what's interesting is like uh, you said just a few minutes ago how, I'm paraphrasing, Mm -hmm. that church felt like his thing and you were kind of in the background. And from the perspective of a person, I've preached at your church a number of times. Mm -hmm. I never felt like you were in the background. I always felt like um, it was a, like a tandem thing. Like I always felt like it was interesting. Like I always felt like, I don't want this to sound weird. Like I always felt like you guys were both equally bright shining stars, which would suggest to me that you became very, very good at putting on a a face. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I think we, I don't want to say that our life was horrible because it wasn't horrible. Right. And it was, we were functioning we were dysfunctional, but we were functioning um, until a certain point because for so long, I really didn't know if I was just crazy or not. And we we were a great team mm-hmm. and we did do ministry very well together. It was just when the, when the fall started happening, you know, that's when I really started separating and I just, I just wanted to leave. I didn't want to be there anymore because I knew that I was, I just felt like it was all a lie. And I'm a very black and white. I'm a, this is how it is. I don't want to play a game. I don't want to be fake. I want to be real. So I wasn't really being fake. Right. I thought I had the problem. Mm. That's so interesting. Until I knew that it wasn't me that had the problem. Then I was mad. Yeah. And then I was done. Mm. And I didn't want to play the game anymore. And I remember getting to the point where it was like, he's like, okay, we got to, we got to go to church. We got to go. I got to go preach. You got to go sing. It's like, I'm not getting in front of those people and pretending like everything's okay. Mm. So I wasn't a faker. Okay. Well, I was and confused. I, yeah, and I think that it's a good perspective that you, Sean, saw them as they are both up front because sometimes I think um, there's women that will take the blame. Like I just stayed at home and I wasn't a part of the ministry. And you know, if I was more in his life and supportive, this wouldn't have happened. So they take the blame. But also, I think those of us who are partners in ministry, like Sean and I, we can get a little um, lackadaisical, like, well, if I'm up front, if Sonny's on stage, so is Sean, we're obviously a team. No woman's going to think she's got, like, I'll take care of his needs because the wife's always just at home and not visible. You were both visible, and, and this still happened. Yeah. Can you, Pastor Kendall, talk about the counseling? Was that something you were, you started out counseling with, the husband and wife, correct? Yes. <clears throat> um, counseling was not something I should have been doing, uh, but it was something that every pastor did. It was kind of the role. And um, and as Starla said, I'm a people pleaser. And if people ask me to do something, I will bend over backwards to try to do it, whether it's helping somebody out, counseling with somebody, praying with somebody, going and visiting somebody, now, my personality is you tell me to do something, and I'm going to rebel. Uh, I don't like to be told, but I have a, a weak spot for being asked. I want to help people. And um, at this time, I was I was seeing them. They were having marital problems um, and just got too close. Hmm. Got way too close. Got way too familiar. And we... Starla talked about feeling like she was crazy. And I think part of that was because if I could deflect problems on her, then it took the spotlight off of me. If I could make her think one way, then it was, you know, less focus on me. And I don't know that I was smart enough to calculate that. It's just the way it turned out. Mm -hmm. I think that's just the nature of, of sin. It's the nature of humanity. 
you know, you don't want people to see you for your faults, so you deflect, put the focus somewhere else. I realize now that's what I was doing. Um, but it was, yeah, it was just, uh, it, it was moving the boundaries, crossing those boundaries. And then when you do it an inch at a time, it's not a big deal. You know, to to go to full-on adultery from one step, well, no, that's, nobody would do that. But one little one step, one meeting, one phone call, one thing after another for five years, that mm. boundary just kept moving yeah. until the fall was inevitable. And we justify, right? I'm sure that it was. It started out as counseling with both, but then maybe there was a time where she just needed to meet alone without him or mm-hmm. he couldn't come. And, and so you justify, well, that wasn't purposed. Yeah. 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 And then he was, as a people pleaser, but he's also craving praise. He loved that praise that he was receiving. And so he just kept drawing, being drawn to that. And the more he was being a jerk with me, it was really hard for me to praise him. Mm -hmm. I thought, I can't praise you. You're being a jerk. And so he was drawn to that praise. I, I was guilty all the years before we went through what we went through of thinking that if a man fails, it's because the wife's not pleasing him. And then when we had our failure, it's like, okay, well, you were getting plenty at home and everything was fine in that mm. department. So I, you know, I thought, I felt so terrible for the way I had felt in the mm. past, thinking it's, well, she's not giving him at home what he needs. So he's going elsewhere to get it. So I kind of learned mm-hmm. things. <laughs> you know, I think I've known lots of uh, power couples in ministry, people that are both incredibly gifted people. And obviously, as I said a minute ago, you guys were that. Mm -hmm. But I think you guys, and this is going to date me, when I Mm -hmm. met the Bridges, I'm not a name person. I don't don't typically remember people's names. But your family was like the Christian version of the Partridge family to me. (laughs) You guys, everyone in your family was insanely gifted, like all the way down to Hunter. Like I just go, like even she was little. And then we talked about this last night, that- uh, forever. Like I've remembered your kids' names. I've, I've, they've been seared in my brain. I love them like they're family to me. And I think the thing I didn't know, I knew that, that Kendall, you come kind of from royalty, like Assembly of God royalty, but I didn't know that you come from a very influential Assembly of God family too yeah. until this weekend. And when you said the church, oh my gosh, you came from. And so I wonder if some of that too is you get into the mix of not only is your church growing, not only are you guys the, I mean, you guys were the darlings of the Assemblies of God. Mm-hmm. When you were at the worship center, it was like you guys were doing things no one else had ever done. Yeah. It was like mind blowing what you guys were doing. So you had the pressure of that. Plus you had the pressure of the legacy that you, that you drug into ministry. And then the fact that now your kids were all in ministry with you. What it makes me wonder is what do you think caused you to continue to move the boundaries? Was it fatigue? Was it pressure? Mm. Was it familiarity? I think, I mean, it's a great question. I don't know that I know exactly the answer without just kind of trying to process through it yeah. right now. But uh, as as we continued to to succeed and to grow, I bought into it. Mm-hmm. That it, when I say bought into, it, I bought into it that it was me that was making this happen. I've said I've become, I became very egotistical, very prideful. Yes, we were doing things that others had not done. We were kind of ahead of our time in a lot of ways. I love that. I fed off of that. And I pushed the boundaries because I just loved the the adventure. I loved the thrill of doing something that nobody had done before. And when we would get praised for that, well, I would I would continue to push those boundaries. But when it came to just my own personal life, I think a lot of it was because I was I was I think there was something broken inside of me that needed that praise, that needed that attention, that needed uh, 
somebody to say, you know, you're, you're, you're all that. And, and I gravitated towards that in, in ministry. I gravitated towards that in my personal life. And yeah, things weren't perfect at home. I created that problem, but, you know, I would move to where there was more praise. And uh, I, I don't know also, that I know. Ex- you also ahead. took the credit uh, for all the success. You know, it was what you had done. Yeah. It really wasn't God anymore. And he mm. became very uh, mechanical, just very much a robot, just autopilot. Wow. He was teaching at a school. He was preaching. And it was like almost every day he mm. was speaking. And he was, I remember watching him walk out the door a few times and he wasn't, didn't even appear human to me. Just in autopilot, just mm. moving, walking, going, doing but it had nothing to do with the relationship with God. It had, even though the word was being preached and it was a good word and lives were being touched and changed and challenged, it wasn't coming from his heart. It was coming from his brain. Mm. And it was, he was just a robot. And mm. he's insanely talented. Yeah. So he could operate yes. on talent. He could always just wing it and it was great. So we wonder why mega churches or pastors, though we call it the celebrity pastor, it is a, it seems like an epidemic now, but you believe your own press. And, and I, it hit me a month ago, I think, or so that I thought, okay, they're calling it celebrity pastors. And I reject it, and I don't even want yeah, to talk about that, right. right? But at the same time, when you think about what does celebrity do to any human, yep. take pastor out, it changes them. And, you know, think of the Christian kids, the Christian mm-hmm. teenagers that went to Hollywood, and now what they're—it's like it really does become you are a celebrity. Yeah. And so the more success, what does that do to any other human? And of course, and then we are human, but we all are held to a higher standard. Yeah. So we are in this rock in a hard place. Right. And so it's like we have to fight double time, but we're not prepared for this. Because in Bible college, you're just a kid and you hope you can make it someday. But when it's instant success, it's real. Well, there's some people I think that God calls who obviously they're incredibly talented at Mm -hmm. what they do. And then there's some people that God uses that it's an anomaly, right? We talked about that before we turned record on that. There's people that are super talented that have never grown anything. And then there's people that you're like, how did that guy? And then you go, what? That guy is a church of this way. And then at the same time, when you get the two of them together, I have two things that I want, that I want to say, because I'm, and not that I'm going to target everything, but I've already interviewed you. pastor. (laughs) So the, um, Kendall loves questions like this. I just remember, (laughs) (laughs) I remember when I was an evangelist, and toward the end, I don't say this arrogantly. Towards the end, I just was really good. I mean, I was preaching the same sermons. If you yeah, if you got yeah. six sermons and you've preached them twenty times, you Get should really be good, good at, at that it. sermon <laughs> yeah. by that time. And I remember uh, toward the end, you know, I was preaching big crowds at that point. And and I remember uh, I did a particular event, and I felt like I man, I felt like Barry Bonds when he broke the home run record, I felt like I was in the sweet spot. Mm. And I came back into the green room. And I'm talking like thousands of people responded to the altar call. Was yeah. there 12,000 students yeah. there? It was the yeah. biggest altar call I'd ever seen. I felt like Joel Osteen. It was mm. insane. Mm-hmm. And Sunny met up with me the minute I got in the green room. She goes, you don't even pray before you went out there. That was all in the flesh. And she nailed me on it. Yeah. And I've never forgot that. And I don't remember it. Wow. At all. But wow. it, it was like it was like a monumental moment to me. And shortly thereafter, I heard T.D. Jake say this line that uh, rocked me. He said, "You, I'll say it exactly how he said it. Mm-hmm. He said, you ain't got to be saved to be anointed. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh. Mm, yeah. There were moments when I was an evangelist at my quote unquote prime where I feel like if I would have died in a plane crash, I would have went to hell. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that there's people that are listening to this who, who are, it, they're in their sweet spot and yeah. they're really, really successful in their ministry. And uh, if they were to die tonight mm-hmm. before their service tomorrow, they would not go to heaven. Mm. And it's interesting that you, you talk about, you go, you have a great line. I'm paraphrasing again about where you go toward where you get the praise and you were getting the mm-hmm. praise at church and she was getting the praise at home. Yep. 
But I think she was getting the praise at church too. And she, she didn't go, maybe it's because she was also getting it at home, if that makes sense. And so what, what is it that kept you from that? Like you, you were getting praise at church, you, and yet you didn't pursue praise for yourself. Do you think maybe that's a male and female thing? That it's made- a personality thing. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I kind of reflect or I praise when it's given to me. I'm like, I get very uncomfortable. I don't like it. Don't talk about me. Don't put me in the spotlight. Um, I just would prefer not to. Kendall loved it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, tell me more, you know? So that's just kind of a personality thing, the difference in us. Did you get a lot of praise growing up? Oh, yeah. Did you get a lot of praise growing up, Pastor? I did. Mm-hmm. I did. It's just a per- how we're innately born and you have to yeah. know that weak spot, right? Yeah. But I, I would position myself to get more praise mm-hmm. because I loved it. I loved when people talked about me. But I also, I noticed something else. I, I feel like I operated in the spirit of rebellion, Hmm. Yes, I'll agree with that. <laughs> the but, biggest amen you got today. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, even in growing the church and starting the church, bucking the trends, going mm-hmm. against the norm, wow. it was it was not done uh, because I prayed about it and had a direction yeah, from the no. Lord. This was the spirit of rebellion. Wow, it's so good. I was going to do it different than anybody else. Tell and, me, I can't, and I will. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And that spirit of rebellion was was in me, and it just began to bleed over into the other areas, the personal, private areas of my life. Uh, and so, I would challenge any pastor that's listening right now. You know, check your motives. Are you, are you, are you, you know, pushing the limits because of a spirit of rebellion, or is this really a desire to grow the kingdom, to minister to people, to follow God's plan for your life? Uh, because I was operating strictly out of rebellion. Now I covered it well. Because you know I'm a nice guy and I was nice to people and uh, well I mean I could get ugly that that guy could get ugly I didn't I didn't like us talking about I got awkward us talking about him me uh, <laughs> earlier the old, the old uh, him but yeah. it's it's uh, the, the old him was very nice to everyone else mm-hmm. yeah but not so he was a jerk small. yeah it is it is uh, an industry necessity though. It's hard to be a jerk and grow a church at the same time. Oh, Some really, people have done it. He was really it. good at it. Mm. He was yeah. really mm-hmm. good at just compartmentalizing and just getting on stage and having one focus. He was really, really, and I can't do that. It's all together for me. So I can't put it on the back burner and go go up on stage and be like, everything's fine. I think the fine line for me is that the, I have a natural duplicity, that I'm not the same. I'm the same. How would I say this? I'm the same person on stage but I'm not the same personality. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not a, an incredibly outgoing person off the stage, but on the stage I put on like I am. And I mean, Sonny is like as true as the day is long. Yeah. Sonny's personality, but God called me to do something that's outside of my comfort zone. Right. And so, right. but when I listen to what you're talking about, it's like a, that's like what you just said is like a warning sign to me mm-hmm. because I don't want to be duplicitous in my lifestyle. Right mm-hmm. now, if I'm two di- two different personalities, that's a different thing because God God has to supernaturally take me out of my comfort zone and have me be on a stage. But I love attention, mm, yeah, love I, it. But, but in my but in my <laughs> private life, I don't like it. Yeah, it's so weird. Like I don't want like when we go away, or or even when I'm out in public. We don't, we're in a small town. Mm-hmm. I don't like when people recognize me in public. I, people are going to listen to this and go, oh my gosh, <laughs> I approach them at restaurants all the time. I, it's fine. Yeah. Like, it doesn't bother me. It just makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. But like from the stage, like I love that. But part of that, the reason that I asked about attention is I didn't, I didn't get a lot of attention oh, gotcha. growing up. So that was new to me. Like when I got into the ministry, it was like, ooh, well, hang on a minute. People aren't trying to beat me up. They're trying, they're yes. praising me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm like very, uh, like reflective and like in my personal personality, but then I have to come across. And so then I think sometimes when people meet me, mm-hmm. I don't know that I would say that there's a disappointment, but sometimes it can be a letdown. But mm-hmm. to me, when I met you, Pastor Kendall, you were like enigmatic, yeah, like off the stage. Mm-hmm. It was it was to me so whatever you were portraying on the stage and I can understand what you're talking about Starla about the 
like I had a draw to him. Mm-hmm. Like even as yeah. an evangelist, like I wanted to be around him. Yeah. I remember coming home and talking about him to Sonny and just going and the, but for the guys that are listening and the gals that are listening to this, who that's their natural mm-hmm. personality type. Which is a great thing. Yeah, it is. It's a great thing to be drawn to him when you're in the ministry. Right. He had that gift. Enemy didn't like it. But to be mm. to be so cautious of that yeah. and to have somebody in your life, the thing that has really struck me that you've said a couple of times, even through the conference, is that you have the gift of discernment and he was shutting down your gift. Right. And and at the same time, he was shutting, and he said this, that he was shutting down the gift that God had given him. Right. And his gift was discernment. And I would do that to Sonny, is mm-hmm. I didn't want to, Sonny has a gift of discernment. Yeah. I don't want to hear that. Right. That makes, that you're a downer right now. Right. It's a bummer. And so who do we have in our life? That is the discerner. Well, kings had prophets, right? Like the Bible told us to have the warning person in your life. And so of all th- of all people, us pastors should follow that guide. And sometimes God's given that in our spouse. And sometimes it's in an executive pastor. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes it's in a brother-in-law or a sister-in-law. So, okay, so Starla, let's, yes. let's continue the story. When you found out, this is powerful. And I think that some of the wives listening have mm-hmm. either gone through this or if this comes out, they need to know they're— not crazy. Yeah. Well, because I he had driven me to the point where I thought I was crazy. Um, so when when we found out, and it was actually the wife's husband who had them followed. So that's how it got found out. So it wasn't a confession. It was a got busted kind of a thing. Uh, when Kendall called me and told me, again, I remember right where I was, and I was, I was furious. So this had been a slow, slow death and um, a slow strangling of me too, um, just to kind of take me down to nothing. So when I found out that it was true that I wasn't crazy, I was relieved that I wasn't crazy and furious that he had lied to me for so long because I don't like to be lied to and I don't like stupidity. (laughs) I don't tolerate it very well at all. Just do not lie to me. So in the beginning, as well, in the beginning, as in the first few hours, mm-hmm. um, I kind of was just numb and I couldn't hardly breathe. And I would say enough, you know, to get, I, I knew to go get my girls out of school. They were still in school, one high school, one elementary. And we had had a, a big failure from a pastor in our area, I think about a, a year before that. It was very public on the news immediately. So I had that fear. I did get a call from somebody in the church saying, I've called the news. So I rushed to get my girls out of school, got them home, got my youngest with a sitter. And I honestly don't remember where my other kids went, but um, I was just kind of in that mom mode right then to protect my babies. And so I got them safe. And then people started coming to our home. Kendall had left. He had gone back to some his grandparents' land. He was thinking about suicide. Not sure if you guys covered that before in your last talk. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that he took a rifle. Actually, I talked to my mom on the phone. She said, is the gun gone? Mm-hmm. So I went and looked and I saw that it was gone. And I thought, he would never do that because he he loves himself so much. He would never do that. And I just, I did call my both my boys who were young adults at the time and I had them call him over and over again so he would see their name pop up on caller ID just to start thinking about somebody else other than himself. I couldn't call him. I wasn't there yet. I was really, really angry. So at first with everything, we had to just kind of get in, okay, what do we do next? We have to step down from church. So that was all in the planning. I really wasn't communicating with him at all. I had no words for him. Those came later. Um, But we just had to find out, okay, what do we have to do? Board, tell us what to do. We had to go as a family and stand on the platform. Mm. So I had, uh, my oldest was about 17, uh, 18. My youngest was 10. And we stood on the platform and the church was packed. And I remember just looking out into the crowd and people were weeping. It was, you could hear the crying 
It was like a funeral, but there was no music to soften. You know, it was just people were crying. And I had to look above their heads because I couldn't look at their eyes. And I couldn't stand by my husband. I asked my boys, stand between us. I can't. I can't stand next to him. So um, each, my husband, well, I think a board member spoke. Then Kendall got up and spoke, and I just remember thinking, I didn't even listen to what he said because I, I was having flashbacks to my father who stood in front of his congregation mm. wow. and apologized, but you know, flashbacks to Swaggart. I mean, just flashbacks of all of these big names. And there was a lot of tears, but I didn't feel like it was really a broken. Everybody was busted. They didn't confess. Mm. Wow. So they were busted. They were broken. busted. Yeah. And to me, it, I felt nothing. I felt like, whatever. It's, we're still acting here. Um, and then I walked up and I wanted to speak to the people because I knew just from being in the ministry my entire life, I knew how many people left the church because they were hurt because of what somebody else did. So I just, all I remember saying is it wasn't God that failed you, it was man. Wow. Don't don't scatter and don't leave God. I so good. I have no idea what else I said, but— um, because that was our church. We started it. It was 15 years old. It was our baby. And we were having to just walk away from it. So we did. We walked away and all ties were cut. Um, we lost everything. We lost our home, our cars, insurance, our income, sold just just about everything. I had a few people that came and I just, I don't care, just sell it. I, I was in a numb state of mind. I There's a lot of things I don't remember but I do remember the loss of just everything. So the years of confronting my husband, trying to keep him from falling, the years of pleading with God, please don't let this happen in my marriage, the years of being shut down, the years of feeling like God wasn't hearing my prayers, and then the years of losing everything. And it was a slow loss that you know, mm. as we started losing all that we had. And then we started over in a new state, and I hated it. We attended a new church, and they were good people, but I hated it. I hated my life. I hated everything. Our two boys, they couldn't go with us. They didn't want to. They kind of just shut down, and they actually moved in with my parents. So they were out of my life, mm -hmm. and I had two girls that were just begging me not to leave them if I left. Just make sure you take us with you, Mama. Mm. So um, just that slow loss of everything. And then making very little money. And I remember once actually getting food from a church, from their food pantry. No way. And it was, it was just crazy. So all of this was just piling up and piling up. And so it was just piling more anger towards my husband. In the beginning, I couldn't talk to him and I really didn't want to talk to anybody else because if they hadn't gone through it, they wouldn't get me. So I talked to God. I prayed. I read the Bible. I was in my closet a lot. And so for years, I was just kind of staying in the marriage. I don't know why, you know, it's crazy that I stayed so long. In the beginning, it was I stayed just to, so I could say that I tried. And that was pretty much going to be it. And then... I also didn't have any money. I had no way of surviving. He had nothing. He couldn't help me. Where am I going to go? You know, I could go to my mom's. But it was just, I was just kind of stuck. I was stuck. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was going through all the stages of grief. I don't know if I'm getting ahead of No, I, I do. Uh, I want you, because I want to end the podcast where you talk about the anger. Okay. Um, but I do want to pause because you said something you said, um, I stayed because yeah. what else am I going to do? But you also said you lost everything. And yeah. this is, we're going to have some wives that their husband didn't want to end it. Yeah. They kept going with the affair right. and are currently in it. We're going to have a guest on our show. Uh, but she had said, like, I lost everything. I didn't choose this affair. I didn't have an affair. I didn't, I don't want a divorce. Yeah. We're divorcing because like, I had no choice in the matter. You had no ability to stay at the church, even though you did nothing wrong. No, not at all. And so when you're going to talk now about your anger, I think mm -hmm. some people will think, well, it's the anger because he was unfaithful. Yes, but 
the auxiliary reasons to be angry. We don't have, I lost my house and my yeah. cars. Yeah. And, and there's people listening to this that are not pastors, yeah. but an affair happens. And if that company lets you go or they quit because you you're trying everything. to put it back together, there are auxiliary, just like our kids go through it. And your daughters are like, yeah, like they knew these young girls, you're probably going to leave him. But when you do, please don't leave us. Like yeah. this is a ripple effect. It's and we know much. divorce is selfish. Yeah. And we know that affairs are selfish. Mm-hmm. But if we could think of that ahead, we would probably, you know, but these aren't usually people. You weren't in a healthy place, Pastor yeah. Kendall. So you yeah. weren't looking at it from that perspective. Okay, so now the anger. So I I went through all the stages of grief that you have to go through. And you do, you do have to process those. You do, it's just like a death. It was very much a death for me. And and for the first good while, it was all justified. I had a right to be angry. I had a right to be broken. I had a right to cry. I had a right to follow, but I had a right to say all the things I said to my husband. But then I crossed that line and I just got stuck. Like five years then, you would say? Um. Well, I was stuck probably before, you know, five years, but I stayed, I stayed mm. angry for a long time. And I really, because my husband controlled everything for the first 19 years of our marriage and really I had no voice, not really when it came to the, the heavy duty stuff. And for the first time I had control and I had a voice. And for the first time, my husband was listening to me and there was more than just he had a failure. It was very, very, it was a deep rooted problem. And I wasn't okay with just seeing a counselor and then three months later, him getting back in the pulpit and being okay. It was like, no, we're gonna, we're gonna clean it all out. We're gonna get to the root of it. We're gonna, I wanted to see him completely broken mm. and emptied out and become something that he I'd never seen before. I wanted to see him change. And so it wasn't five years that he changed and was perfect and it took me five years to get over it. It took him years to change. So I was I was watching for a long time, watching, looking, listening, seeing if I could really trust him. And it's if you crush me, it's going to take a bit to get me back. So I watched for a long time, but a few years into it, I would say probably you know three four years into it, it was I was the one that was broken. Mm-hmm. I was angry. I was mad. I had hate. I had no respect. Yeah, I was praying. I was calling out to God, but it was just bouncing off the ceiling because I was my heart wasn't right. I was arrogant. I was prideful. So that's when God did a number on me that it was time for me to straighten up and um, forgive my husband. And he walked the road. I Even as you sit here, and Sean can wrap us up because I see you taking notes. He's so good about that. But as I sit here and I'm sitting across from Sean, you can't see us, and Kendall and Starla are sitting across from each other. And I, I am amazed at what you take to this day. You guys wrote a book because Starla's like, let's tell our story. You're like, right. no, this is <laughs> like, I'm the failure in this. She's yeah. not right. You wrote a book. You have a workbook. You just did a conference. You take couples away. You actually have a similar heart to us. We're we're just starting a retreat center for pastors in North Carolina. And, and you're already doing what we envision seeing couples go through. Um, but it's out of your failure and your scars. And then as you sit across from each other and Starla knows she doesn't have to hold back and be like, he was a bad person. And you sit there and I think you don't just sit there in humility just when she says these things in shame, Mm -hmm. but you sit your posture in your humility and your shoulders down, not up and prideful is evident. Now in the pulpit, on the stage, at dinner and in this room. And it, but I think that this is probably what even now Starla makes you still look at him and go, I can say this and it's like torture. This can't feel, be, feel comfortable, yeah. like he, hearing these things, but he continues to hear them and then do conferences. And it is like the ultimate falling all the way and admitting. Yeah. And that's the problem we have with pastors who are currently or have fallen, who they will not fall the way. They won't admit no. it. Some are busted and some confess. But there are some that they they won't confess everything. Right. And now they definitely wouldn't sit in a podcast room and again hear all of the things that they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So yeah. thank you for being humble I, I, and thank you for being honest. Well, I feel like I'm talking about another man. So it doesn't feel like you're attacking no. because this isn't the same man you're married to. No, and I'm not the same person. Mm. So good. Yeah, listening to your story is gut-wrenching. Yeah. It's difficult like to listen to it. To uh, If you're a person who uh, is empathetic, your story makes me sad. Particularly as a, as a man who put his wife through things like that, it makes me sad. And knowing your family and knowing your kids and thinking about this, this other person that Sonny said she's going to be a guest on here and her husband doesn't want to be restored and She's trying to figure out how to get a house. She's trying to figure out where to take her kids and like where to live. And it's, it's gut wrenching. It's, it's uh, difficult to hear that. It was uh, difficult to watch it unfold in looking in retrospect, what feels like real time, but we were at, we were separated from you as you went through it. We were going through our own stuff. Mm -hmm. It's challenging to, watch someone go through something even when you're going through something and try to figure out how to help them. And that's exactly what you're doing right now. You are finding people who some of them are on the back end. Some of them are in the middle of it. Some of them are on the precipice of it. But as you, as you were talking, what struck me about your story, Starla, is the vulnerability with which you and Pastor Kendall shares it with vulnerability as well. Mm-hmm. It's so different. Like your version of it, it's not different than his version. It's the same version. It's just so different to hear it from your mouth is so different. Like the the line of don't don't leave without us. Like that sometimes you don't consider the collateral damage of something like this. And so Sonny kind of stole the words out of my mouth is I wanted to thank you for your vulnerability mm-hmm. and I wanted to thank Kendall for his humility. Mm-hmm. So it's a, um, it's such a lesson of, it's easy for me because I'm hearing about it in a condensed version, you guys walked it for years. Yeah. I've just, I've just, <laughs> I've never heard a better restoration story. Maybe it's because I'm, I have a vested interest and I had such a love for you guys coming in, but uh, I'm so grateful for you guys story. Like it's, you guys are telling a story that no one's telling. Yeah. No. Lots of men are telling a story of I fell, and it's not to discount that, but I don't know anyone else. Like they tripped and fell, not like this yeah, was strategic like, of five years, and I admit those. It, it, it's a, this, you guys are a rarity to say there is so much truth we that needs to be told and that I'm willing to tell when others are just trying to keep it undercover or share a quarter of what happened. Yeah, to have two people who are arm in arm. And, uh, oh my God, like you guys could have given up so many times. Like so, and I know that you wanted to, you wanted to, and you didn't. Some of it was because you're from Texas (laughs) and you weren't going to fail. And it doesn't matter to me now what the reason is, because looking back now, like uh, I think what stands out about your story is I've never heard a story of a man who would just take it on the chin for five years. And you, because listen, guilt only lasts so long. Mm. Like you didn't do it because you felt guilty. You did it because you were changed. What happened to you changed you. And it didn't, like you said, Starlet, it didn't change you instantly, but you were, you were this, Kendall, you were this picture of progressive sanctification as you worked through your salvation with fear and trembling and said, you know, I'm going to, I'm love this, I'm in love with this woman and I am going to 
fight no matter how long. As long as she'll let me fight, I'm going to fight. But then on the flip side, I've never heard a wife talk about how terrible she was. Hmm. And when you shared that story about... uh, the woman caught in the act of adultery and you said that God told you you've become everything you hated in him. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't I don't think I've ever gotten emotional on this podcast, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it, what it says to me is that if you are in the, if you're in the middle of a failure or you're in danger of a failure, uh, this is a couple that you need to come to. And I know that your your retreats are by invitation only. But if nothing else, you need to get on their church podcast. I mean, their church website. You need to watch sermons. You need to read the book, Better Marriage. You need to get the book, Have a Better Day, uh, one word at a time. And, and t- take the tested truths because now it is beyond talent. Now mm-hmm. you guys are being trusted because you're talented but you have all of this stuff that um, that God wished you would have had, for, that God knew you had yeah. from the beginning. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you guys. Yeah. I want to thank you for the platform to make me more uncomfortable than I've ever been in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> I wish people this could is, have watched this podcast. <laughs> really uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> but... You know, sitting here talking about the the worst moments of my life, I realized, yeah, when you say you took it on the chin, I, yes, I did. But I did that because I truly, truly love Starla. And I knew that I had, I had jeopardized the one I love the most. And I was committed to do whatever it took to gain her trust back, to win her heart back. And I told her, I said, if it takes the rest of my life, I'll do it. And so five years wasn't really a big deal at that point because I was in for the rest of my life. I said, if it's, if I, if this is payback mm. for what I've done, I deserve it. So let's go. And, uh, but I want to thank you for giving the platform for a story to be told. Um, I, I know that. I thought of something earlier. You kept saying you got to fall all the way, fall all the way. And yes, you do. But unless you fall hard enough, there's no bounce back. Mm. And I feel pretty hard. Mm. It was face first, you know, full on. But it gave me an opportunity to bounce back. And Starla gave me that opportunity. God gave me that opportunity. Friends like you gave me that opportunity. So thank you from the depths of my heart for being our friends. Thank you. Thank you. So the Rise After the Fall, the podcast, the um, the whole purpose of why we do the podcast to then help people know, well, what do I do? I hear this or we're, we're headed to a fall. We've been in a fall. What do we do? And for us, we point people to Journey to Wholeness. And because it's what saved our marriage, we didn't have a Sean and Sonny problem. Or we didn't have a marriage problem. We had a Sean and Sonny problem. Yeah. That was the issue. And so now we encourage people to do Journey to Wholeness, which is why we bought this retreat center in North Carolina, because what we've learned is pastors need a two-day intensive over a 12-week, once-a-week course because they can't move somewhere for 12 weeks. So we're doing intensives here in Green Bay. We'll be doing intensives where we can house the people. It's less money, even though we cover costs a lot of the times. The Exchange Collaborative does. Um, We have this in multiple states, but specifically the Retreat Center in North Carolina. You guys do your getaway in Colorado, but you've also done conferences for churches. So you could be listening to this and you need to book them and have them come and do a conference, see if they have any open dates coming up in the next year or so. Uh, the getaway, I'm sure if you get in touch with them, um, they may, you know, have or be able to make an opening because they have a heart similar to ours. And that's why I think we connect because we've risen after the fall. You guys are more successful now than before the fall. Yeah, We're more successful than before the fall. And that's not just in numbers, that's in obvious things. And we are also healthy. 
and you're healthy and being emotionally, spiritually healthy. And that's why we we point people to Journey to Wholeness. So you can find all about our program on theexchangecollaborative.com. It also talks about the specifics of Journey to Wholeness, which is part of the program for us. You can go to bettermarriage365.com. And they also have a book. Where could they get your book? Amazon or at bettermarriage365.com. And what's your church website? Findfreedom.church. Love it. I love it. Yeah. Great communicators, great friends. And I don't want to end like, oh, you know, this, this is a gut-wrenching story, but like uh, as gut-wrenching as it was to hear yeah. what you went through, it's so encouraging to see where you are now. Mm-hmm. And so thank you guys for being an example, not just to us, but to everyone who is going through a difficult time. And so if you're in the midst of a struggle, please reach out, send an email, send a message. We love you. You need to know that there is a rise after the fall. Hi, friends. It's Sunny again. And I just want to say, Sean and I appreciate your faithful listening. And we hear all the time that many of you are sharing this. In fact, we've had a few people say, I tell everybody I know, specifically other pastors and leaders about this podcast. And so we may have shared in our early season two episode about the story of getting a retreat center that we're now going to call the reserve, Uh, 20 acres, multiple houses, and the ability to house pastors and leaders, their families. We're going to basically say we're hosting the hurting. We're hosting the betrayed. We're restoring the betrayer. Uh, And so now we have a campus to do that on a, a 20 acre property to do that on as well as we'll continue to bring people into Green Bay and we provide um, help in the finances for that and the housing for that at times as needed. Also, we'll continue to go to people. We've done that over the last couple of years, flown directly to couples in crisis. That's been an ongoing thing that Sean and I, Pastor Becky, Pastor Barry have done. But what I wanted to ask you is that um, because this retreat center is $1.8 million, which actually for 20 acres, a massive house, other housing, uh, it's really reasonable. We just happened to find it in a great location. And the person who's selling it to us has a ministry heart. He's on the board of the church that we interned at coming right out of Bible college. It's just crazy, the God story. But we need to get $600,000 as the down payment. Now he's going to spread that over the first year. So it's 54,000 a month. Whew. Then after that, the 1.2 million that we will finance with him, those payments will start and that's in the 70 some hundred dollars. So $7,000 a month plus utilities and expenses, but that's much more palpable than 54,000 a month. But for this first year, we're grateful that we didn't have to come up with 600,000 to even begin work on the property. We already own it. We're already doing construction. But what I would ask you is if you would consider, and you may say, it's me. I have, you know, $100,000 put away for our church that we are going to start construction on something. Or you may say, I have $1.8 million at the church I lead and we were breaking ground. But I feel, <laughs> this is the crazy thing. I've heard some crazy stories about pastors who after having the money or praying for the money and they get it for something God's having them do, God told them to give it away. But then God exceeded their expectation and they came back and had eightfold, ninefold. I know of a church in Texas, this just happened. Uh, They gave a million dollars they had raised to break ground on a new property. And someone had had been at this conference with them and they had a roof that had caved in and it was a million dollars to repair it. And God told him, give the million dollars. Well, he did. And within a few weeks, they had a company come to them and offer them money for the land and to give them land they owned. And they basically were given about $8 million. 
from their million dollars they gave away. So I just know that when Sean and I even have given $1,200, which was our first big gift when we were first married at a conference and God told us, give everything. And we had $1,201 in our bank account, which was a ton for us. It was like our savings. We gave it, we got home and we had a check in our mailbox for $1,250. Now we made $49 on that, but it increased our faith. We made a lot of return on our faith and that investment and knowing God will never ask us to give that he doesn't have a huge plan. So I take this time to say, you might be the one that says, we're going to give you 1.8. You'll never have to worry about money as you do this ministry. You might say, we're going to give you 600,000 for the down payment so that you don't have to stress for the first year at 54,000 a pop as you build it out. Or you might say, we're going to give monthly or we have something else in mind. Thank you for considering it. Thank you for stepping out in faith and thank you for being a faithful listener to this. We appreciate you.